Hello, I'm Maritza Barone and welcome to my wellbeing podcast, Things You Can't Unhear. As a radio and TV presenter with a focus on wellness, I've interviewed very many health professionals in my time and heard stories and journeys that are eye-opening to say the least. But I found the best bits and the bits that I take home with me, the things that have changed my life, are usually when the camera shuts off and we can talk in length behind the scenes. And that's the information that I want to share with you on this podcast. Okay, so today I'm going to jump straight into my interview about all things fertility and infertility with the exceptional Dr. Lynn Burmeister. For those who don't know her, she's a qualified obstetrician, gynecologist, and if that wasn't enough, now a fertility IVF specialist at the top of her game with her own clinic in Melbourne called Number One Fertility, and her focus is to provide the best fertility treatment at affordable costs. She has made countless families' dreams come true by giving them the most important thing in their lives, and that's children. Hi, Lynn. Thank you for being here. Hi, Maritza. Thanks for inviting me. You're known as the fertility queen. Um, I know. Lucky me. How good is that? (laughs) Yeah. I've interviewed you briefly before, and I've I've followed your work for a long time. Um, Yes. So I'm already a fan, but can you just give everyone a a, a, a bit of background on your career and your philosophy? Sure. So I finished medicine um, in uh, in the 1990s and then I went into obstetrics and gynae training and just fell in love with um, delivering babies initially. But then I met Professor Carl Wood, who was the founder of IVF in Australia, and he sort of took me under his wing and said that, you know, on the side, maybe I should start learning how to do IVF. And I just became very passionate about IVF as well. Mm. And then I went to America and trained in a big IVF hospital in New York City. So I spent two years of my IVF training in New York City and then I came back and I started working um, back in Australia. And initially I used to do the IVF um, and then once I got the patients pregnant, I I used to deliver their babies. But about eight years ago, I became so busy with just all the IVF that I couldn't do the babies as well. So my main focus now is getting my patients pregnant. Mm -hmm. We don't always have to do IVF. but um, about half patients that I see will do IVF and half will just get pregnant naturally. So I've been practicing in this area for about 20 years now. So I feel I am an expert in this area. Oh, um, you definitely are. Yeah. And people mm-hmm. are really talking about you at the moment as well in a, in a positive light. So you did say that you try and get your clients pregnant through other ways well, as well not, as using not. IVF. What are some of those ways that you do that through? Yeah. So when a couple comes to see me, uh, usually I've got their uh, general practitioner to order all the basic tests for me. So um, on their first visit, I can sort of decide what that patient needs. So it may be that um, the patient's not ovulating. So then I can just give the patient an ovulation tablet. Uh, There are other things that a patient might, might complain about that some women have very bad period pain and it is endometriosis awareness month this month. And um, some some girls might come in and say, I've got terrible periods, doctor, I faint, they're very heavy, I can't go to work. Uh, and those patients might actually be suffering from endometriosis. Mm. So with a patient like that, I, I'll take her to theatre and, and do a, a sort of a very simple laparoscopy um, but and diagnose endometriosis and potentially treat it. Um, and then we've got oil now that we put through the tubes that actually has been showing to improve 
pregnancy rates rather than just putting the traditional water through the tube. So we flush this oil through called lipid oil and it increases their pregnancy rates to 40% over the next four months. Wow. Whereas traditionally we used to just put water through, which increased their pregnancy rates to about 25% over the next uh, few months. So the lipid oil, oil is a fantastic new thing that can help our patients get pregnant naturally so they don't end up on on IVF. So, I mean, it's great that you do offer these tests initially that people don't have to go through IVF because it can be quite a gruelling process, can't it? Can you talk us through the process? Because a lot of us don't know. It's, it seems to be quite a private thing that people go through. They don't want to share the fact that they're going through IVF in case something doesn't happen um, until they've got good news. So can you share the process yeah. with us? And I think that's a bit of a shame. So what I'm trying to do is break down the barriers for people to talk about IVF. I want, And that's why I've created my rooms um, in a way to sort of like make people feel comfortable. And, and I really want to break down that sort of barrier that they feel that they can't talk to mm. people um, I've got a big table in my room that the girls sit on before they come in for their appointment with me. And they actually now, and I've got a coffee machine, and now they actually go and make themselves a coffee and they sit around the table and chat to each other about their fertility journey, which I think it makes it easier. And and what the patients have to go, it is quite, it, it is quite hard and very, very hard. And to be told that maybe you may not be able to have a baby um, would be, is, is devastating. And I said once it's probably... You get out of bed every day and it's like wearing a pair of tight shoes um, every day, all day, because you can't stop thinking about it. And um, my patients, are, they can't. They can't stop thinking about it. It's on their mind. It occupies them. It, it, you know, it comes into their relationship. It does sometimes cause relationship issues as well. The patients usually, the process of IVF itself is probably not as bad as the thought uh, around IVF that it may not work. I think that's probably worse for the patients. Um, the patients have to take about 10 days of injections and they have a couple of scans along the way and a couple of blood tests. And by about day 10, the follicles are usually ready. And what we do is we take, we give the patient a trigger injection that she ta- takes at home um, at a certain time. And then we collect the eggs usually around 38 hours after the final trigger injection. The trigger injection matures the eggs. So when we collect the eggs, um, the eggs are mature, hopefully, and the patient goes to sleep for the egg collection. Um, so they do have an anaesthetic, and we collect the eggs through the vagina using a very fine needle that passes into the ovaries and drains the follicles. Uh, the scientist is standing next to me while I'm collecting the eggs, and the eggs are constantly kept warm. So they go into a test tube warmer, and then the scientist looks at the eggs in a like a baby incubator, um, so to speak, with a microscope, and she counts the eggs as I'm collecting them. Oh, wow, it really is incredible what you do and the, and the technology behind it. But I have heard that you um, have used acupuncture in your clinics um, yes. to tie in with these IVF treatments. Yes. So um, patients patients love um, acupuncture. Um, there is some evidence for acupuncture on the day of their transfer, but a lot of the time I think it, it's a stress um, relief for the patient and also um, they bond with their acupuncturist and I think they enjoy going to their acupuncturist and a lot of the acupuncturists or most of them have very good positive energy and I think that positive energy also helps the process and helps them deal with the process of IVF as well and and may have an impact to their ultimate outcome as well. Mm. So I think anything to do with relaxing and uh, around your 
particularly your embryo transfer day, um, I think it's very, very important not to walk out feeling stressed and aroused after your transfer. So in my new rooms where our lab is being created, we've got acupuncture rooms and we've got massage rooms. So the patients just can decide. Some people don't like acupuncture because they've got needle phobia. So they can decide whether they want to book in for a massage or book in for acupuncture post their transfer. It's interesting because a lot of the time we look at the women uh, the female in the, in the partnership as the you know fertility problem is mm-hmm. that what you're seeing most of the time? I think we do forget men, but I I, I always ask the men to come to their first appointment um, and any follow up as well because they're basically they're fifty percent of of the embryo, exactly. and so I take a detailed history from the partner as well and make sure that they don't have any health issues. Um, particularly uh, my number one beef is when they're smoking because mm-hmm. a lot of guys think that cigarettes don't hurt the, the sperm or the baby. But actually evidence uh, is is that uh, men who smoke uh, can actually affect the health of their unborn baby. So I usually, if a guy's smoking, I, I say to the couple, really, I don't think you should have any treatment until you've been off the cigarettes for a couple of months. Mm, and it could um, be an easy fix. Yeah, yeah, and and sometimes I've had couples where they've just stopped smoking and they've got pregnant. So they've saved money from not uh, buying the cigarette packs and they've saved money from not needing IVF as well. You're helping everyone all around. But (laughs) it's infertility numbers, you know, on the horizon are increasing at an alarming rate at the moment. And, you know, I believe the stats are one in six couples that are needing help to conceive. Is that right? That's right. So it is increasing. We're becoming more infertile. So men, we know we know that even a man's semen production has decreased from 100 years ago. So 100 years ago, men were producing around 100 million sperm per mil, and now the average uh, sperm count is between 30 to 40 uh, million sperm per mil. So it, it is dropping, and I think it's to do with our lifestyle, our environment, mm. and what we do to our bodies as we're growing up as well. And like a lot of um, a lot of men in their 20s will, you know, party hard, drink a lot, smoke cigarettes. That probably has an ultimate um, effect on their, their sperm production later on in life as well. So, And also what we're exposed to, radiation, um, pesticides, uh, they probably affect our fertility as well. I do want to talk yep. about that in depth. Um, yep. You know, the pollutants and chemicals that yes. are within plastics and, and even makeup, and yes. you know, that is the cause of infertility. It's been proven in many people. So yes. what are your it's, thoughts? How do, we, how do we work around this so we're not led down this path? I know. Well, I always tell my patients to be um, mindful of what they are drinking. So, you know, it's probably better to go to the tap and get a glass of water than go... Uh, to 7-Eleven and buy a plastic bottle with water in, you know, with water in it. So um, any patients that walk in a plastic bottle, I, I say throw that out um, because a lot of them have um, BBA in them. And so um, yeah, I, I, I'm very mindful to my patients about talking to them about what they're drinking and where they're drinking from, and also what makeup they're buying. So I, I try and um, get my patients to look at the labels, make sure they're um, and, and particularly, there are some organic makeup brands around now. So I ask them to look at the back of what they're buying and, and, and choose, choose a, a fertility-safe makeup brand. What is it in these products that is causing the EDCs? 
uh, it's it's the the chemicals, the the PBA chemicals, so um, that affect the the eggs and the sperm quality. Um, so it is the, the chemicals that they're using to make the plastics and to make the makeup um, that affects goes and ultimately affects the DNA in both the sperm and the eggs. Mm. It's it's quite frightening because when you when you research this, it's things like washing fruit and vegetables and buying them from local sources reduces your intake. Okay, so we're thinking about our fruit and vegetables. We're thinking about what drinks we're drinking, the water from the tap. Even we're mm. thinking about we're thinking about what what bottle we're drinking out of. Like there there seems to be you know oily fish intake, canned food. Um, mm. There seems to be so many things, and I think I know, it's, and it may be even you know. When we were children, we drank out of sippy cups, which were plastic and probably filled with toxins that, you know, our mums gave us when we were children. So it could even be from when we were growing up that that might be one of the impacts to our fertility later on as well. And also even when our mums are pregnant with us, the way she looked after her body affects our ultimate fertility as well. As a mum of two little girls, I'm telling you, I'm like, alarm bells are ringing with me and I'm hoping that I haven't, you know, harmed my children. But it's not, look, it's not all doom and gloom because you are here and you are, you know, helping so many families. What are the latest technologies and new developments with IVF these days? Well, it's improving all the time and we're discovering new things all the time. So even the culture medias um, are improving. And now when I first started IVF, we used to put the embryo in very early, like either day two or three, because we didn't really have great culture medias. But now we can actually simulate the culture media to the fallopian tube because the embryo takes five days to get down the fallopian tube into the uterus. So now we can actually um, simulate the same environment for the embryo. And so the culture media that we use has two steps. Um, The first step gets the embryo to day three. And then day three, the embryo, at day three, the embryo's got eight cells. And then by day five, it's got over 80 cells. So its nutrients are different. So a day three embryo needs different nutrients to get to day five. So we replenish our culture media with the next step. It's called sequential media. So that's one thing that's improved over the last 10 years or so. The other thing uh, that has improved is how we grow the embryos. So um, at Number One Fertility, we grow the embryos in time-lapse machines. So basically, rather than the scientists getting the eggs and the embryos out every day to do an assessment, we can just leave the embryo in the incubator system and push on the patient's name and push on every single embryo in that machine and we get a video of what that embryo has been doing. So we don't have to get it out every day. That also re- reduces the risk of the embryo being exposed to light because embryos actually are very sensitive to light. Um, so it reduces the risk of the embryo also being exposed to uh, the surroundings uh, in the lab and any temperature changes. So the embryoscopes are an amazing new development that aids, aids our scientists in not only selecting the best embryo, but also looking after and nurturing the embryo in a very, very safe environment. And does that also work with freezing of eggs and for people who are, you know, just keeping the eggs on ice? Yeah, so um, freezing eggs is becoming more and more popular. And I have a lot of ladies who are in their 40s. And unfortunately, they missed out on the whole egg freezing um, time because up until about eight years ago, we weren't really good at egg freezing. But now we've got a new technique called vitrification, which is snap freezing 
the eggs. So the eggs don't actually get damaged when they're frozen. Um, and so that's become more popular over the last few years. And I, my, my waiting room is full, full with a lot of girls between 30 and 35 that freeze their eggs. And again, they still have to go through uh, what an IVF patient would go through. Um, they take medication every day in injection form and then have an egg collection. Um, then the eggs are snapped frozen and vitrified and each egg gets stored in a single straw so it's a safer way of doing it and also if the patient comes back later on she might only want to store five eggs rather than the whole 10 or 15 um, eggs that she may have stored. For these people who are freezing their eggs their age group did you say 35 is the maximum age that you no, suggest No they can freeze it? I have got ladies that freeze their eggs older it we would like uh, them to come and see us before their 35th birthday, but we do have some ladies where they've got no other option. You know, they might reach 38, they still haven't met anyone, and they come to see me as well to freeze their eggs. Um, it doesn't work as well as patients are getting a bit older or closer to their 40th birthday, but it's an option for them. It's not covered by Medicare, um, and the patients usually have to pay out of pocket to freeze their eggs. So it's an option for them if they're 38 and I give them all the risks and complications and the um, potential stats of becoming pregnant from the eggs and the patient feels that she still wants to proceed with it, I'll still egg freeze at 38. Yeah, okay. You're right though. We did, I'm in that age group and we mm. we did miss out on that yes. period um, when yes. we were in that 30 to 35 mm. age group when the te technology wasn't there. so No, and, and a lot of the ladies that I'm trying to get pregnant in their 40s, they say to me, I wish I had a frozen my eggs, but I say, probably if you had seen me back when you were early 30, we didn't have the technology for you. Exactly. So, yes, they have missed out. Um, but it, it's good that I'm seeing a lot of girls more aware of it and they are coming in and doing it. And it gives them an option. And what I've seen in my practice of the women that have frozen their eggs, they're using it for their they're using their eggs for their second baby. So they might have their first baby when they are 38, and that might have come along naturally. And then when they're hitting 40, 41, they come back and see me, and they use their frozen eggs. So I've had that 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 mm. seems to be a common thread mm. um, towards the egg freezing. So we will see more and more girls using them um, in the future, and I've even seen a trend to using their frozen eggs with donor sperm as well. Right. And luckily for men, there's no real expiry date on, on their sperm, is there? No, no. They're pretty lucky that way, although there is some increased risk of, you know, chromosomal uh, damage to the sperm as they're getting older and a very small increased risk of autism after their 40th birthday in offspring. So there is some evidence that older sperm isn't as good as younger sperm, but not to the same degree as eggs with women. Finally, what would you say to the younger generation now to help them protect their fertility for the future? I would say look after the older person you're going to be. And um, there's certainly the lectures I give my teenagers. And, and so be healthy. You know, don't smoke, don't drink, don't take illicit drugs. You know, if you're going to have a, a good, it doesn't mean that you can't have fun, but just don't go out and, and do the binge drinking every single night. Mm. Um, so things like alcohol, smoking, illicit drugs can all affect egg and sperm quality. So I think average age for having babies now is about 33. So if you want your eggs to be a healthy, 
by the time you're ready to have a baby, then you've got to look after them in your 20s. Well, thank you, Lynn, for an incredible insight. And thanks for being part of the show to educate our listeners on an easier fertility journey going forward. Thank you again, Fertility Queen, Dr. Lynn Burmeister. If you want to check her out online, her website is drlynnburmeister.com.au. Bye, everyone.